God, we thank you that that is true, that that is real in our lives. God, that we once were so lost, but you found us, that you ran towards us, that you loved us first. God, we thank you that while we were still sinners, you came for us, that you thought that we were worth dying for. God, we thank you for the difference that those words that we sang make in our life. And God, I pray that you continue to gift us and equip us and give us the courage to step out in your name and share that good news with other people around us. God, we pray for the community of Sale that needs to know you so badly. For so many people who are so broken and so far from you, who just need to know that truth in their life. And God, I thank you that as a a church that we can uh, be that light in the community, that you can equip us, that you can send us, and that we will go gladly in your name. Amen. Quickly say good day to somebody around you, 30 seconds today. And just while that's happening to the online people, um, a reminder that we're having communion today. So if you can just, you've got time to run away now quickly and prepare something, uh, just something to eat and something to drink to celebrate communion with us shortly. All right, take a seat. We have a packed service for you this morning. We don't have time for a whole minute, so 30 seconds it was. Um, While I'm talking to you, you can be filling out your Connect cards um, online. Everything's online. We don't do papery things much anymore. Um, Our online crew can be filling those cards out now too. Hopefully they will pop up for you in whichever platform you're in. Um, If they don't pop up straight away, don't worry, they'll pop up soon. Um, There's a few people stepping into roles that they don't normally do this morning and Joyce Meyer says, just do it afraid. So there's a few people (laughs) who are doing it afraid this morning and we love you. Thank you. Um, Our offering uh, will be, there's an offering box at the back there, but uh, a lot of people are giving um, online now anyway. But just if you did have cash, there is an offering box at the back. Um, We're going to talk about the men's breakfast, so watch the screens. Uh, yeah, g'day and welcome to this instructional video on how to get your kids yeah. to eat vegetables. Yeah. Uh, you, you could just cover them in tomato sauce, but that's a bit of a cop-out. So um, instead, get your kids to become, you know, one with the vegetable. Um, get out there and grow your own. Dig a hole. Right, chuck in some veggies. Oh, I mean plant, I mean plant some, plant some veggies, we'll, we'll get some. Chuck in the seed pot things. No. And now cover it with soil and, and wait. And around the tree we go. Oh. Done. Since your kids were part of the whole growing process, now they'll absolutely love eating vegetables. Goody goody yum yum. Uh, 
So if you want to know even more about growing vegetables, come along to the men's breakfast. Hopefully you guys will have all received a little invitation on your way in today. Um, if you feel like you don't need uh, like fellowship and community and you're not looking for that, then this is perfect for you because you are able to come along and provide that for other people. If you feel like you do need uh, fellowship and community, then this is perfect for you because you get to come along and those other people will be providing it for you. Do you see what I'm saying, guys? All right. Okay, so sign up online, register online. Um, That would be fantastic. So that's this coming Saturday. So this is the last time we can talk about it. Um, Another thing that we want to talk about today is Thy Kingdom Come. So this is a season uh, between Ascension and Pentecost uh, where we particularly focus on praying for uh, different things. So uh, we're asking you to pray for five people uh, that are precious to you to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. We've done this, this is our third year I think of doing it and um, there are lots of different ways that you can remind yourself to pray for people. So, oh, awkward. So, do you remember we used to have these bracelets where you, it's just a piece of cord, you tie a knot in it for each of the people that you're praying for and it is super annoying because it comes undone all the time, it gets in the way and it will remind you a hundred times a day at least to be praying for your people. Um, There are these groovy little things out on the info desk which have been created uh, for you. So you can write on there the names of your five people and you can pop that on your fridge and uh, keep ticking off each day that you've remembered to do that. Lots and lots of different things that you can do. You can do a little prayer walk around your community if you want to. Um, Like not, don't make it super obvious, just walk around and quietly pray uh, while you're walking around. And um, also, we're going to be praying for our community as well. So this, this sort of 11-day season finishes next Sunday and we're going to have a prayer, a prayer and worship night to kind of celebrate all of that coming together and celebrate what God has already been doing. And I was just thinking uh, yesterday, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that um, we're to go to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And I'm thinking with your five people, there are people that are easy to get on that list, the people that you love. And then there's maybe the people that you maybe don't love quite so much, but you feel like they should be on the list anyway. And then there's maybe the Samaria people, the, the people that you really do not like, but you know that God God has put them in your path anyway. So pop that name on the list. We've all got one, haven't we? So pop your Samaria on the list and get praying for them. If it's too big of a step for you to believe that um, that God can make them be Christians just because you're praying, um, pray anyway. Like um, It's not too hard for God, but it might be too hard for you to believe. But pop their name on there and just believe that God will be able to make a step. Maybe he can restore your relationship. Maybe he can make them a nice person. Maybe he can make you a nice person. Who knows? Um, Pop their name on there and get challenged with your praying uh, during that time. So, again, look out for the worship night next Sunday night. Um, So that will be a really big celebration. Um, And let's pray together, shall we? Um, In the spirit of thy kingdom come. Uh, We're going to be praying for our world situation. Uh, We're going to be praying for some personal things. Um, So the young young boy that we've been praying for who is being treated for cancer, um, he's eight years old, young Nathan, and um, things are not going so well. Um, He's had five rounds of chemo and um, things are not tracking how they'd like it to. So he's now facing a very big operation a week after this, not this week, next next week. Um, So we 
going to keep Nathan and his family, Anna and Peter and James, in our prayers for sure. Um, and there are other, other folk in our um, fellowship who are receiving treatment as well. So um, anyway, uh, so that's sort of that. Um, yeah, let's pray together, shall we? God, we thank you that you are the creator of everything, that you created everything that we see and things that we haven't even discovered yet. But God, we know that you love each one of us individually, so personally, and that the things that matter to us matter to you. God, we bring before you um, our church community, uh, the members of, uh, who are struggling with health at the moment. And we think particularly of young Nathan and his family. God, I just pray that you bring a real sense of peace into that situation, God, that they will know that you are walking that journey with them, that they don't do it alone. God, we pray for your continued healing in Nathan's body. Uh, we thank you for the, the small progress that has been made so far. And God, we believe you uh, that you can do much more in his body. God, we know that you know every cell of that little body because you made it and you put it there. God, we know that you are the God of the impossible. That when everything else looks impossible that that is when you can do your best work. When we stop trying, that you can step in and that you can do your work. God, we pray for that family. Uh, God, we pray that they keep their eyes fixed on you and not on the situation. And God, I pray that they feel our arms around them, loving them and carrying them through as well. God, we pray for the world situation, which uh, looks so dire in so many ways. Uh, God, we pray for the situation uh, relating to COVID around the world, particularly in India. Uh, God, we, we pray for your healing to come. God, we pray that people will be safe and that they will turn to you during this time, that this will be a real catalyst for people to turn their lives to you. And God, we pray for the situation in Israel as well. And even when we don't understand exactly what's going on, who started it, who's going to finish it, God, we pray for both sides. We, we pray that everyone, that this again will be a catalyst for people to turn their eyes towards you and to turn their lives towards you. God, we pray for safety. We pray for wisdom. We pray for decency. That people will behave like decent human beings. God, we pray for each one of those lives that is affected there. We know that it's not just a, a nation to you, that they are individual people who are so precious in your sight. And we pray for each and every one of them. And we join our prayers with Christians around the world who are praying for these situations as well. God, we say that your will be done and thy kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take a seat. And just as we come to a time of communion, we're going to um, reflect on God's love for us. God loved us first. He moved towards us first. And Romans 5, 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were worth nothing, God came for us 
Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It says it twice just to make sure that we got it. We belong to God. All of us belong to God. But we were stolen by the enemy and Jesus had to die to buy us back. He had to die to redeem us. God loved us that much that he thought that we were worth that. And just recently I've been hearing, you know how there's, there's a word for, you know, when you first notice something and then you just notice it all the time. Um, people have been telling me stories about God's love. The cross we remember today when we um, take communion together, that's kind of big picture love. But there are some small picture loves that have been in people's lives recently where people have been facing difficult situations or um, traumatic situations, really emotional times where they just weren't sure whether what was happening was the right thing. They just needed to hear from God and they did. When they stopped and they cried out to him, he showed them little pictures of how much he cares for them individually, stuff that that happened that could only have been God, ridiculous things that don't make any sense and that you couldn't make up stories like this, where God stepped in and he said, yes, I love you and I'm going to show you. God loves us. We should never be in any doubt about that. I read something this week. It goes like this. The enemy wants to define you by your wounds. Jesus wants to define you by his. How are we going with that at the moment? Are we allowing the enemy to define us by our wounds, by the things that we've done wrong, by our family situation which has hurt us, by whatever situation that has hurt us? Are we allowing the enemy to whisper in our ear and tell us those things? Or are we allowing Jesus to whisper in our ear and tell us who we really are, what he thinks about us, how much he loves us? The enemy wants to define you by your wounds. Jesus wants to define you by his. The challenge for us is to let him. So just as we come around the communion table, I just want you to, to dwell on that, to dwell on how much God loves you and of the times in your life where he will have shown you in a way that is just personal to you how much he loves you. And we'll just look at, um, at this scripture in Corinthians where it just reminds us of that uh, last supper where Jesus uh, said what was going to happen to him and how we're to remember him. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's stand together. This communion is for anyone who believes that Jesus is their saviour. You don't have to do a class 
first before you're allowed to take it. If you believe that Jesus is your saviour, you're welcome to take this today. Let me just pray for you and um, then I invite you to take the elements uh, as we are singing the next song. God, we thank you for everything that your sacrifice means for us. God, we thank you for the joy of your salvation, your free gift to us, which cost you everything that you had. God, I pray that this is a moment where we don't take that lightly, where we can choose to dwell on the love that you demonstrated for us that day, for the time that you ran towards us, for the way that you've lifted us and carried us, for the times that you walk beside us, for the times that you fight for us. God, we thank you for these simple elements that represent that sacrifice to us. And God, as we take them, I pray that we receive your love again or for the first time. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for everything that you've done for us and everything that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for your love. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you moved, removed our sins from us. And God, this morning I pray for those that need, need reminding of that forgiveness for themselves. that what is impossible for us is possible for you. The chasm between us is bridged by the cross. And God, for those that we know that we love that don't yet know you, that we think is impossible for them to come to know you. God, I thank you that you are the God of the impossible. You are the God that performs miracles. And God, we lift up those who don't yet know you. And God, we pray that we might be vessels, we might be the people you use to reach them with the good news. God, that you would soften their hearts, you would open the doors for us to be the people that you've called us to be, disciple-makers followers of you, who make followers of you. So God, would you use us, would you use this church, this family to accomplish your mission and your purpose? God, we thank you that you are there right beside us every step of the way. When we succeed and when we fail, God, you are faithful to your promise. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for this moment together. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please grab a seat. Good morning. Good morning, those online. It's great to have you with us. Very good morning. Thank you, music team. Fantastic job this morning for leading us. Sorry, I'm just going to prevent myself from tripping over. We'll try to anyway. A very good morning to everyone this morning. A special welcome, though. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Samson Ferguson was born, and I forgot to welcome him on his first Sunday. I missed it, his first Sunday. This is his second Sunday, but 
a very quiet little clap for Samson Ferguson, Russell Nash's second baby boy, very exciting. And then last weekend, we welcomed into the world Ezra Reed Pierce, Lauren and Ben had their baby, and they are, very, again, very quiet little clap. Not that it makes any difference when they wake and when they go to sleep, um, but we like to think it does. Uh, we're very excited for these two beautiful baby boys that have entered the world, um, and I'm sure you'll make yourself known to them, um, but give them their distance as well, I'm sure. They don't want everyone trying to touch and poke and prod and all those sorts of things that we're very tempted to do with little babies. Um, but congratulations, guys. We're very excited. Um, we've got a bit of a baby boom, I think, this year. There's a few still on the way as well, so um, very, very exciting times. Very exciting times. Oh, Aurora, it's not that bad. Isn't it good having kids in church? It's so good. We love it. We never should be ashamed to have kids in church making themselves known. Um, it's very cool. And this morning we're going to talk about kids. We're going to be talking about families. We're continuing our series called Home. Um, where we've been talking about Jesus-centered hearts, Jesus-centered parents. And this morning we're going to talk about this idea of a Jesus-centered family. And this morning I want to take it a little bit wider uh, and talk you might not have kids at home, you might uh, not be in that season of life, you might not um, have that experience in your life, um, but for whatever purpose or um, season you are in, we are part of this family, this family, and we want to have a Jesus-centered family, a Jesus-centered church, and it uh, takes all of us and we all have a part to play uh, in ensuring that we do have a Jesus-centered family. The first week um, I preached, I talked about the idea of um, spent a bit of time talking about anxiety and idolatry and, and the idea of living with Jesus-centered hearts and not living with the intention of pleasing or impressing others, which can lead to, um, to anxiety, but with the intention of having Jesus as your center. Uh, and so if you missed that first week, I encourage you to go back and listen. And um, one of the big ideas that I talked about was this, that the best technique you can employ to influence others towards Jesus is to influence your own hearts towards him. To influence your own hearts towards him. Now, I just want to make a little side note here that um, anxiety is real, and if you listened to my message and you took away that that was the answer to every bit of anxiety that you will ever face, I wanted to encourage you that perhaps um, there are times and uh, I would encourage you to seek help when anxiety is overwhelming for you. Um, we need um, help and we need to seek professional help at, at different times in our life when the anxiety is real and we need to, to do this for our own sake, but also for those that we lead and those that we love. Uh, it's really important. And so I want to encourage you that if you need help in that space, then I'm more than happy to steer you in the right direction um, or point you um, to someone who might be able to help you out a bit more. Last week, we heard Pastor Steve talk about Jesus-centered parents uh, he unpacked some of the, those tricky scriptures in Ephesians 5 and talked about this idea of mutual submission for the benefit of the other, that we each have our roles to play, that you and I are created differently. God has designed and crafted each of us uniquely for unique purposes. We aren't all supposed to be clones and copies of each other. We all have our different roles to play and we can't just be whatever we want to be. We can be what God has designed us and created us to be. And so we must embrace who God has made us and his perfect design for us. 
and talked about this idea of father and mother. And whether biological or not, we all need mother and father figures in our life to nurture, to give grace, to model forgiveness, to lead. Uh, And this morning I'm going to unpack that a little bit further, this idea that we all need um, and we all have a part to play in the family of God. I want to read a scripture, a well-known scripture I'm sure you've heard before around families, but talk about it, unpack a little bit, hopefully encourage us as well. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, it says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. Perhaps we might translate it as when you drive along in your car for today. When you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Lord God, we thank you this morning that we can come around your word. God, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to help us to understand it and to empower us to obey it. And God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to do that this morning to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This week, Alana and I and the boys were in Melbourne. I had a couple of days uh, with Pastor Jackie and Steve at a a conference in Melbourne in Crossway. Um, And Alana and the boys came down uh, for a couple of nights and we had um, an apartment we were staying at and it had like one of these underground car parks, ones that you just sort of like, whew, get car sick just travelling, you know, the ones that there's about this much space and if you had anything but a little, a little car, you'd be in big trouble. Or if you saw another car, you'd have to reverse. I don't know how they plan that. Anyway, so we do our six million loops down to the bottom, um, park the car, Got to our apartment, and then in a couple of days, you know, we walk everywhere, and I catch a lift with Jackie and Steve, and um, we go down a couple of days later to our car, and then right there on the windshield is a spider, like a big hairy huntsman. And for Alana and I, we're not particularly scared of spiders, so we just think, oh, that's cool. We didn't touch it; we just left it, and we showed the boys, and the boys, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And so let's, we're like, let's see what happens, and so we just get in the car and we just drive, and the spider's just crawling around and crawling, and then. Uh, after about five minutes, we just forgot about it. And then we're like, oh, where's the spider gone? Didn't think anything of it. Uh, and we couldn't find it, so we're like, oh, must be happy. Um, go do our thing, come back, park the car. Next day, come down, it's there again on the windscreen. Uh, and that time I, well, I probably didn't do what I should have done, but I just put the windscreen wipers on and... <laughs> <laughs> sent it flying. Um, but you know, we've also got at home, the boys have like an, uh, some animals, some animal toys in their box, and they've got a spider in that. And we can put the spider, the toy spider around the place, and yeah, you might jolt a little bit, but after that little initial sort of like, oh, is that real, is that not, you just move on, and you don't think about it a second time. You know, there's something different, there's something very different about what's real and what's fake. Something that's living and breathing is very different to something that's not living and breathing. Uh, it invokes uh, different reactions, different um, sort of a sense of awe and wonder, if you like, uh, a different sort of response, a different awareness. And I want to talk about this morning this idea that a living, breathing example, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to our next generation, living, breathing examples is what they ultimately need. They don't need anything fake or uh, real or put on. 
um, and sorry, fake or um, made up or, or put on, but they need living, breathing examples of followers of Jesus. They need things that are going to grab their attention and their awareness, that are engage their lives. I want to talk about this idea that discipleship is primarily about relationship and imitation, not education. Discipleship is primarily, primarily about relationship and imitation, not education. And for us, especially in the West, this is a big sort of shift in mindset. When we think about discipleship, it can be very easy to think, we've just got to teach. They've got to know their scripture. They've got to know every story in the Bible. That's what's going to make a good disciple. Whereas you look at Jesus, you look at his model of discipleship, it was primarily about relationship and imitation. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know the early church, the one that expanded, that grew exponentially, didn't have the scriptures on their phones. They didn't have printed Bibles that they could just go down their shops and buy. Their model of discipleship was imitation, was follow me, copy my life, copy my patterns, do what I do, do what I do. When we think about discipling young people, it's easy to get into an education mindset. If they know the Bible, if they can tell you how to exegete Scripture properly, how to read in context, if they can tell you about Reformation history, they should be right. What could go wrong? That'll, that'll um, stand up well in, in their young adult life. But it's not really the Jesus way. I don't think when it comes to discipling our young people, they need more education. I think they need more imitation. They need more discipling towards obedience, discipling towards action. And you might think, oh, great, I need, I need people to tell my kids to obey me. Not obey you, obey the Father, obey, obey God, obey, obey Jesus and his mission for their life. I'm going to steal a, a little analogy I heard earlier this week at this conference because I thought it was... Um, really helpful picture of what this is all about. You know when you, if you've ever told a young person to clean their room, or maybe you've been told to clean your room uh, when you were a child, or maybe today, still you get told to clean the room, <laughs> either way. Imagine you told your child to, to clean their room, um, and then by the end of the day, I want to have your room clean. And then at the end of the day, you your child comes running into you and says, I know, I know what you're going to say, I know what you want to know, did I clean my room? But let me tell you this. Let me tell you what I learned about cleaning my room. I've read this book, this book, and this book. I've read three books about cleaning your room, the best techniques for cleaning. I've read about the different antibacterial sprays and wipes that you can use. I actually even went to a conference on how to clean your room. I'm even starting to write a book on how to clean your room. Um, I talked to my friends, we've got, a, we've got a little group going about how to clean your room and we encourage each other and we pray for each other on how to clean our rooms. At the end of the day, you want to know, did, is the room clean? Is the room clean? And if they say no, well, it doesn't matter how much you know, did you clean the room? Did you clean the room? And I think sometimes in our Christian education mindset, we can fall into this trap about when God tells us to go and make disciples, when God tells us to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind, we can know all the answers. 
We can know how it looks, how it's supposed to look. We can even teach other people what it's supposed to look like. But do we do what we're told to do? I think we fail in our role of disciple makers when we don't disciple towards obedience. Disciples do more than disciples know. Disciples do more than disciples know. In John 4, verse 34, Jesus says this. He's, um, this is the end of the story, the, the Samaritan woman at the well. The disciples have gone off to grab some lunch and they come back because they're hungry and they come back and says, oh, Jesus, do you want some food? And then he gets all cryptic and, you know, how Jesus does this. And then he says, um, I'm not hungry. And he explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Think about that idea. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Sometimes we can think our nourishment comes from knowing more. Jesus says, my nourishment comes from doing more. When I'm in the will of the Father, that's when I feel my tank is full. That's when I feel nourished in my faith. Disciples do more than disciples know. And when it comes to discipling this next generation, we need disciples who are doing more than disciples who know all the answers. They need lives to imitate, not more knowledge to consume. So the question is this. For me and for you, if someone was to imitate your life, if someone was to imitate your life, would they grow in their faith and discipleship towards Jesus? Would they grow in their faith and their walk with Jesus? If someone was to imitate your life, to do what you do, to live how you live, talk how you talk, would they be discipled towards faith in Jesus? Discipleship fails not when people don't know enough, but when people don't follow enough. We fail when we have lack of character, not lack of information, not lack of education. So live it out. This is what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. As you go, as you live, do these things. At your house, in the car, on the way. Live it out as you walk, as you live. Make it an everyday activity. It's not just a Sunday activity. On mission every day. Looking for God's activity in every situation. Obeying God where he calls and what he calls you to. You know, uh, one of the, the pictures we get in the Bible of, um, that Paul uses a bit is the, the body of Christ uh, and how the body has multiple parts and multiple functions. Uh, and I think sometimes when we think about the body of Christ, we can, at least I've um, sometimes got into this mindset that I have, I'm one part of the body and the part that I play has literally got to correspond with a literal part of the body. And if I can't Think about, well, am I a hand? Am I, maybe I'm a mouth because I'm a preacher, so that makes it easy for me. That's my role is I'm a mouth. But I think for some of us, we think, well, uh, the way I serve Jesus doesn't really correlate to a body part. I, good. I think that's the point. I don't think the point is that we should literally be like body parts. And I don't think the point is that we should just be one part either. I think we often have different parts to play in different seasons of our life and towards different people in our life. And we're only effective in our part that we play, in the parts that we play, when we're connected to the head, 
And the head is none of us in this room. The head, of course, is Jesus. And so we are effective in our parts that we play, in the different roles that we have towards young people, towards each other, when we are connected to the head, when we are following what the head is directing the body parts to do. I mean, it's, I'm not a doctor, but I know that if I chop my arm off and it loses connection to the head, it cannot function. It can't do anything. It's not just ineffective, it's dead. It doesn't do anything. And so our only effectiveness comes when our connection is to the head, when we're following the directions of the head, when we're following, when we're doing what we're called to do. And we all have different roles to play. For some of us, we're parents to kids, we're friends to somebody else's kids, we're auntie or uncle to some other kids, we're brother or sister, we're grandparent. We all have different roles to play and we all have different young people in our life. And we all have to understand that they, they are all important parts to play. They all are working together towards this discipling of young people towards faith. Your life is bigger than you and your life was designed to impact lives around you. Those in your home and those in other homes as well. Look what he says here in Deuteronomy 6, where it says, at the end, it says, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. The idea of the discipleship in this chapter, in this passage, is not just for those in your household, but it's for those that you come into contact with. That your disciple-making Your um, example of life and following Jesus is meant to impact and to be imparted to those around you in your world, not just those in your direct household. Yes, those in your direct household should be impacted, but ultimately your impact should go beyond your household. It should be on your forehead so that whenever you walk down the road, people can see and, and follow your example. It should be on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates for your home and for other families. Household to household, family to family, brother to brother, sister to sister. Your life's example goes beyond those influencing those just in your house, but to the people around you. Our church, this church, Sal Baptist, doesn't just need parents leading their own families, but we need each other to be spurred on towards faith and obedience. We don't need just people who can tell us how to clean a room, but we need a church full of room cleaners. So it's contagious to the next generation. It's all good if one parent is on fire and doing exactly what Jesus has called us. If they're the only ones, it's not as impactful as if the whole body is moving in the same direction, following Jesus, listening to his words, obeying quickly when he calls. One example is great, but 100 is better. Being known by your parents is great, but being known by others is better. You know, sometimes, um, I know I was sort of told this in, in youth ministry when I was doing youth not so long ago, um, you'd have one adult leader to every five kids, or you'd have some sort of ratio, you know, one adult leader to five kids, one adult leader to maybe eight kids. What if we flipped that on its head and we had five adults to every one kid? You know, there's research out of... Um, I think it's out of America, the Fuller Institute have done um, research into pe- in young people, faith retention. And I think it's like 
um, I'm going off the top of my head, it's either doubled or goes up by 30% when a young person is known, just known by name, by five adults in their church. Literally, that doubles their doubles the statistic of faith retention in a young person's life if they are just known by name by five other adults other than their parents. Five other Christian adults. One step that we can take is just to know young people's names. There is plenty of young people in this church. Plenty. Literally, probably 70 every week in that kid's area another 30 or 40 on a Friday night at youth, over 100 young people in this building every week. There's not enough of us. We need to know more than five <laughs> each. If you don't know five, people's young name, five young people's names, can I encourage you that aren't your kids or just your friends in your little circle, can I encourage you to step outside your little world, your little bubble? Maybe introduce yourself. Maybe say, hi, most of them have name tags on when they come out of kids. Just call them by name. Say their name. You'll be amazed at the impact that that has when they are known by name. Praying with your parents is great, but praying with others is, what is better. Serving with your parents is great, but serving with others is better. Some of our young people don't have Christian parents at home. They don't go home every week to a Christian home, a Christian family, and don't have models at home that tell them how to pray, that model how to read the Bible, that do these sorts of things, they need all of us to stand in the gap. Some of us as parents struggle to encourage our young people towards faith. We need all of us to help stand in the gap. So I want to give you some real practical things that you could do, some practical steps for all of us. First one I've already mentioned is just to talk to young people and know their names. Talk to young people, know their names. Show an interest in their world. Talk about what they want to talk about. If they want to talk about the footy every time you talk to them, put yourself in their world. See the world through their eyes. Talk about what they want to talk about. Remind them about Jesus. Find ways to remind young people about Jesus, about his world, about his plan, his purpose for their lives. Encourage young people's parents. I mean, we've got a lot of parents in this room of young people. Encourage us. Encourage us. Pray for and pray with young people. Model what it looks like to communicate with God. It's great when young people have parents that pray with them at home, but if that's the only model of prayer that they have, they're missing out. Stop and pray with a young person in the foyer on a Sunday. Ask them to pray for you. To tell you about God. To learn from them and their faith. Model obedience and encourage obedience to God. You know, we've heard this saying so many times, it takes a village to raise a child. And we are that village. You are that village. That's not just like, it takes a village, like other people should do that. You are that village. You are that person in that young person's life. I'm sure that if you've grown up in church, if you've grown up with a faith from a young age, I'm sure that you can probably think of people in your life 
that set a great example that weren't your parents, that had a big impact on your life in your early years, and they weren't your parents. It's not to say that parents don't have a great impact. They do. But they are not the only impact. All of us have such an important role to play when it comes to discipling and faith of our young people. Play your part in this tribe, in this family, and let's continue to see it grow together. We've got so many young people and it's so great. It is so encouraging to see. But if we want to see them grow in their faith towards Jesus, it's going to take all of us. We all have a part to play. And you might feel intimidated to go up to a young person and introduce yourself. I can tell you they feel more intimidated to come to you. For a young person to step into a a church, especially if they've come from a a non-Christian home and they don't have parents around them to sort of say, here's Johnny, here's Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so. If they don't have that thing happening for them, can I tell you, it's going to be very intimidating for them to come up and say, hi, my name is... It's, it's on us as the grown-ups, as the big people, to take the initiative, to step out, to do that uncomfortable thing and introduce ourselves, to talk, to engage, to walk up to a group of teenagers that are in their circle and say, hi, maybe do a dance for them, embarrass yourself. I don't know what it is that you need to do to grab their attention. They'll love it. They'll love it. They won't know what to say, but it takes that step. It takes that step. We all need to play our part in this family and continue to see it grow from generation to generation, from strength to strength. I want to pray for us as we close. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this family, for this um, community that we are a part of. And God, we thank you for the young people that are a part of it. We thank you for the generations that are impacted because of uh, the people in this room. And God, we pray that as we go from this morning, God, that we might be more aware of the roles that we play in the discipleship and faith of young people in this community and out in the, in the wider community. God, that you would help us to lift our eyes and see that we are living, breathing examples of disciples that you've called us to to lead our own homes, but you've called us to be leaders in the community, leaders in the faith. And so, God, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to be that? Would you stir our hearts on, spur our hearts on, so that we could um, have you as the centre of our world, the centre of our life? God, would you um, do the same for our young people? Would you be the centre of their life? Would you reveal your love to them in a life-changing way? God, we lift up our young people that are meeting right now in kids and we lift up our young people that meet on a Friday night and we pray that you would continue to stir their hearts on towards you, that you would surround them with peers and with friends that love you, that you would surround them with us as parents and um, older people of faith and encourage them along in their faith journey. God, would you help us to be one family connected to the head that is Jesus? We love you and we thank you for this family that we get to be a part of. We pray that you would help us to fulfill the roles that you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.